You are listening to a sermon podcast from Kingdom City. We pray that over the next few moments, you will be blessed, equipped, and empowered to bring the reality of God to your world. Hi, everybody. Welcome to church. And uh, it is nice to see you all. And it's nice to see you all. Please help me, everyone here. Welcome everyone in all the other cities and countries right now who's receiving the word. And just indulge me as I welcome them. Please welcome everyone in Butler, in Wangara, in Mandra, everyone in Auckland, New Zealand, Rotorua, in Bristol, in England, in Hobart, in Sydney, and in Brisbane, in Singapore as well, also in Ipoh, Penang, Kuching, JB, Botswana, Zambia, and everybody online. Come on, everyone everywhere, let's stand to our feet and give a big welcome to everyone else around the world. Great to be a part of a global family. And since we're all standing in every location, I want to pray as we come around God's Word. Is that okay? Father, today in the name of Jesus, I thank you that because you are the unifier, you are what we have in common. Every culture, every tribe, every time zone, every age, every status, every every person from their background that's unique. Father, today we ask that your name would unify us all as we come around your word. Let it breathe life. I thank you for the season we're in. I thank you for the privilege of giving beyond ourselves in our miracle offering. And I pray every heart around this church globally would come alive with divine purpose, never out of fear or pressure, out of compulsion, but Lord, out of joy, out of conviction, and out of the privilege of having been blessed. I thank you today. This word would go a little deeper into every heart for the benefit and the expansion of your kingdom and the enlargement and the encouragement of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone around the world said amen. Amen. Fantastic. Here and everywhere, please take your seats. I've entitled this message, Three Poor Rich Men. Look at the neighbor and say, poor guy, poor girl. But not poor, poor rich men. And you don't think of a rich person as poor, but we're going to read about it and talk about it. Luke chapter 18, we start. Luke chapter 18. Verse 18 through 23. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. That's the first poor rich man. The second one, you don't have to go very far. It's a couple of verses later in Luke 19, literally the next chapter in the same book. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. The second poor rich man. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. 
So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, meaning the others, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let me make a couple of statements to set the table. Number one, even rich people need Jesus. Even rich people need Jesus. And all the poor people said, you shouldn't have said amen. You're all rich. Every country, every city, every location, you shouldn't have said amen. When you need to say amen, you don't. And when you don't need to say amen, you do. I'm just teasing. It's okay. One third of the world lives under two US dollars per day. That's over three billion people live under two US dollars per day. So all of us, it's all relative, but we're all incredibly blessed and on a world scale doing okay. But even rich people need Jesus sounds like a provocative line because we don't often think of rich people needing anything because they're rich. And with your money, you can do whatever you want and you can buy whatever you want. So it's not often you see a rich person with need, but rich people need Jesus. Rich people aren't associated with need, but these two rich men were both rich, but both genuinely looking for Jesus. You see the rich young ruler in another version, it says, he ran toward Jesus. When's the last time you saw a rich person run? Think about it. When's the last time you saw a rich person run? I mean, I remember being with a gentleman who owned a plane and he was staying in the top hotel in Malaysia and I visited him for the first time. He's a billionaire. And I was a bit nervous because I'd met millionaires. I'd never met billionaires and, you know, I'm intimidated. I'm like... Don't know what to ask this guy. And so I meet him and go, hi. And I met him. You know, I acted like I do this all the time. I clearly didn't. And I said, um, so um, when do you leave? And he looked at me like, I'm like, whenever I want to. Oh, yeah, he owns the plane. How long are you staying for in this top penthouse in that most expensive hotel in Malaysia? I'm like, till I want to leave. And he wasn't being patronizing or harsh. But you don't associate rich people with need. So you never see a rich person late to catch a plane when they own the plane. And yet this rich guy ran towards Jesus. Zacchaeus went another level. He ran and climbed a tree. When's the last time you saw a rich guy climb a tree? When's the last time you climbed a tree? Both that both running and climbing a tree signifies such a hunger because at the end of the day, no matter how rich you are, every person needs Jesus. And I want to tell you, whether you're good rich or bad rich, what do you mean good rich or bad rich? They, these two were totally different kinds of rich. There was Zacchaeus who was rich, but he wasn't rich in a good way. He was rich in a bad way in the sense that he accumulated his wealth through stealing and corruption. 
So let me tell you how it worked for Zacchaeus. You know, here's some insight for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the name Zacchaeus, the word Zacchaeus means innocent. Innocent or poor. How on earth is this guy innocent or poor? His, in fact, he's, he's pure. Sorry, not poor. P-U-R-E. Pure. Pure. His name means pure. His name means innocent. But his life is anything but innocent and but pure. His parents named him innocent. You know, the other day I was uh, shaking hands with uh, uh, two ushers at our, at our Wangara campus. And their names were Grace and Patience. And I thought, you're the ushers I need. Grace and Patience. Because biblical days, when they named you, they named you not because of a name. They named you because of a nature. So the parents were declaring the character of a child when they named the child. Now a name is just a label to identify you from the sibling so we know who to yell at. But honestly, back then, your name was your nature. And so Zacchaeus' parents called him innocent and pure, hoping he'd lived a pure and innocent life. And yet he's living anything but a pure and innocent life. Those days, the tax collectors were despised by the Jewish people because even though they were Jews, they worked for the Roman Empire and they were often corrupt. And this guy was the chief tax collector. And he stole people's money and he's rich, so he's the bad rich. But if you, even if you've had a messed up journey to get where you are, you can have Jesus. On the other hand, you've got the rich young ruler. He's rich, but... He didn't steal because we know he didn't break the commands. And Jesus didn't say, you broke the commands. He's honored his father and mother. He's never stolen. He's never lied. He's never cheated. He's never done the wrong thing from a youth. So he's wealthy by his own merit. And he too needs Jesus. And that's a good point to recognize that no matter who you are around the world, in every location, every country, every culture, all of us need Jesus. No one is so good, like the rich young ruler, that you don't, need Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. And no one is so bad like Zacchaeus that you can't reach Jesus because everyone can reach Jesus. So whether your past is good or bad, look at your neighbor and say, you need Jesus. Every saint, never forget this, every saint has a past. And every sinner has a future. Even rich people, good rich or bad rich, need Jesus. Here's the second point. You cannot buy Jesus. So even though rich people need Jesus, you can't afford him. Have you ever said to someone, you can't afford me? Nobody can afford Jesus. Another way of saying it, you cannot buy mercy. You cannot buy grace. No matter how much you're given to the miracle offering coming up, you can't earn grace. You can't earn mercy. You can't earn the forgiveness of sins. No matter how rich you are, you cannot buy Jesus. Zacchaeus, the Bible says, was short in stature, but his physical stature was a parallel metaphor, prophetic metaphor, to the reality that we all have in terms of our walk with God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all of us have sinned and fallen short. Everyone say short. Look at the neighbor you like less and say, you're short. I should have probably said, look at your shorter neighbor and say, you're short, but you get the drift. We're all short. A couple of weeks ago, we're in Penang, and we're with, with our church there, and we're in the shopping center. With, they had a wax model of the tallest man that's, I think, ever lived, and I came up to his, like, waist. He's huge. And I'm like, wow, he's tall, but even he falls short. Every one of us falls short of the glory of God. 
compares Zacchaeus, who was not only literally short, but fell short, to the rich young ruler who claimed he never fell short. That commandment, I didn't fall short. That commandment, I didn't fall short. That commandment, I didn't fall short. And the rich young ruler, here's where you realize the two rich men go in different directions. What did the rich young ruler say to Jesus? He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Everyone say, do. What do I do to inherit eternal life? In fact, if that was bad English and it was just like, what, how do I get saved? What's the proper New Testament answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus, repent of your sins, and accept Christ. But Jesus didn't say that because he didn't come with that question. He came with this question, what must I do? He figured, I'm a good rich guy. I've kept all the commandments. Give me another one. What must I do? I I can earn this. I can buy this. Come on, try me. I got money. I'm rich. I'm young. I'm ruler. I've got money. I've got time and I've got authority. Try me. And the problem is if you start a conversation with God, bringing your CV to the table about how good you are, he can carry on that conversation pointing out how good you're not. You show him all the laws you've kept and he'll show you the one you broke. You show him all the things you've done and he'll show him what you can't do. He said, one thing you still lack. You want to have this conversation? Let's go, rich young ruler. Just a few verses later, a thief, a criminal, a tax collector has a totally different outcome. Why? Because one came thinking he could buy Jesus and the other one saying, I just need Jesus. Why do we try to impress God? I think it's because we think we're good. Well, let's rephrase that. We think we're not that bad. See, we figured God has a holiness scale out of 10, uh, a goodness scale. And, you know, have you done those surveys where you're like, you've got to rank yourself? Most of the answers when I do that, I give myself a seven. Because I figured a nine, I'm too arrogant and proud. And a five, I'm no good. So I give myself a seven. I don't know if anyone else gives themselves seven. It's the biblical number. I don't know. It just seems like a right number. But that's how if you were to truly rank yourself in terms of how you are with all sinners in the world. And if 10 is like, you're awesome, like you're near God, seven's pretty good. I mean, eight, nine, the Pope, maybe, I don't know. But down four or five, you failed. You know, I don't tell bad lies. I I, I only drive a little fast on the freeway. Uh, You know, I lose temper at people who deserve to be shouted at. Uh, You know, I've got a few things wrong. I'm not a nine. Maybe I'm an eight and a half. But, you know, once you look at the sixes and the fives, you're like, oh, man, that person is so... And then the fours, these are the criminals, the threes. These are the scum of society. These two, the pedophiles. One, Hitler. All those, Stalin, all of them. And we look... And look, you're a seven, You're looking at the one going, whoo, hell for them. Hell for them because I am seven times greater than them. I'm not a 10, but I'm not a one. And you don't realize we start thinking like the rich young ruler. So Lord, what else must I do? How do I get from a seven to an eight, an eight to a nine, a nine to a 10? And the problem is we think we're close. God's holiness isn't out of 10. It's out of 10 billion. So 8 out of 10 billion isn't very high. And yes, 1 out of 10 billion is a lot lower, but they're both short. We've all fallen short of the standard of God. That's why we cannot try and impress God with our works. And that's why the way Zacchaeus approached him and the way the rich young ruler approached him is what changed the course of their destiny. Why do we try to impress God? Yeah, because we don't think we're that bad and we've got something to impress him with. But secondly... Because we all just want to be accepted and loved. 
we all just deep down, no matter what our culture, Asian, African, Australian, Caucasian, European, whatever, all of us in our own way just have a desire to be loved, a desire to be accepted, but there's a problem. It's easy in our era to go, I love you, love you, love you, man, love you, love you, love you, love you. What are the listening? We'll love you, you know. Whatever. You know why it's easy to love everyone? Because you don't know everyone. It's easy to love someone you don't know that well. The greatest human fear is that you will finally know me completely. My motives, my desires, my thoughts, my words, my deeds. And when you know me, you will definitely not love me. And yet we have an ache to be loved and an ache to be known. But to know me is to not love me. To love me is to not know me. But God and God alone looks you in the eye and looks through your entire soul and knows everything about you and yet is the only being who completely, unreservedly, unconditionally, totally loves you. As the late Tim Keller said, only God knows you to the bottom and yet loves you to the sky. How's there? How, how, it's so hard not to love a God and give yourself wholly to one who knows you thoroughly and still completely accepts you and loves you. I don't know what happened at Zacchaeus' house, but he clearly received a reset of sorts. He received mercy. He received grace. He received, he received Jesus. He didn't buy Jesus. He didn't purchase Jesus. He received Jesus. The scripture says in Ephesians 2, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And Jesus looked at him and said, Today salvation has come to this house. For this man is the son of a... He didn't get saved because of what he did. And yet the rich young ruler was like, What must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What else can I prove to you? See, it's all in how you approach God. In a few moments, you're going to get a chance in every city, in every location, in every campus to accept Jesus. But you cannot buy him. You cannot earn it. You have to receive him. And that's the third point. Receiving Jesus unlocks generosity. Even rich people need Jesus. But nobody can afford Jesus. But receiving Jesus unlocks generosity. Look at how these two stories totally end differently. Zacchaeus receives Jesus and becomes instantly generous. Gives away half his goods to the poor and says, anyone I stole, uh, you have fourfold. In fact, if you didn't get stolen by Zacchaeus, you were spewing because who else would pay 400%? You're like, Wow, what happened to Zacchaeus? He received Jesus. He received grace. He received mercy. The rich young ruler didn't. Couldn't open his wallet and give a dime. One guy couldn't give a thing, and the other guy, other guy gave totally liberally and freely. Why? Because one received Jesus. Let's, let's, let's take a deeper look at this. You've heard the expression, because it's scriptural, freely you have received, now freely give. The precursor to giving is receiving you cannot give what you haven't received but think about it i'm sure everybody around the world knows people who've received a lot but don't give much at all so receiving is not 
The stimulus to giving is clearly a precondition to giving, but it's not the stimulus to give. What unlocks generosity? I'll tell you what it is. It's the gratitude of receiving something good that you didn't deserve. So I put my own parenthesis into the statement, freely you have received something good you didn't deserve, freely give. When you receive something you didn't deserve, it unlocks a generosity. The problem with most of our receiving is we think we deserve what we received. What I've received, I earned. I worked hard for it. I sacrificed. I made good choices. I studied hard. I did this. I did that. And so we don't freely give because what we receive, we think we earned. Here's the challenge for today. If everyone around the world leaves with one clear motive, every good thing in my life, I'm a recipient of the grace of God. Every good thing in my life, every good thing. The scripture says, in him there's no shadow, no darkness. Every gift is from the Father of lights. In him, they... So I want you to think right now, do a stock take of your life. Everything that's good, do you think you earned it? Yeah, but I, but I did. I, I worked hard. Who gave you the grace to work? Yeah, but I studied hard. Who gave you the brains to study? Well, but I worked my family for three generations. Who put you in that family? Who do you think gave you the grace? Who do you think is giving you the breath right now to continue breathing to live out the destiny that you're living? It is God and God alone. And the best thing we can do, whether you're good rich or bad rich, is say, God, every good thing I have from you. Think about it. You know, think of your family, the ones you like. Every good gift is from God. Your career, the jobs, the breaks, the opportunities, the things that fell in your lap, the things that turned in your favor. It is a gift from God. It's easy to get rich, young, rulerish in our mind and our heart and start to think we worked hard. And sure, God gave you grace to make the right choice. God allowed you to have the fortitude, the willpower, the strength to say yes and no. But even that comes from God. You know, think about it. Zach freely received. Zacchaeus, think about it. Our mate Zach, he freely received. It's called stealing. He took everyone else's money. Did he freely give? No, he didn't. Not until he received something good he didn't deserve. Called mercy, called grace, called forgiveness of sins, called Jesus. It's only when he received something good he didn't deserve that he started to unlock his life. And that's what unlocked his generosity. He repented, he made restitution. He, anyone he robbed, he restored fourfold showed godly sorrow, showed godly repentance. And you know, that's the key to gratitude. Gratitude is my natural response to the fact that I've received something that I didn't deserve. And so generosity flows so much freer when I have received something I didn't deserve. Here's the mindset, here's the homework. Let's think of everything in our life, every resource you have, every, as God, this is a gift from you. You know, there's a proverb in that, that, that I just love, it's just the message version says it so well. Proverbs 11, 24 through 25 says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Zacchaeus's world got totally enlarged from this moment. From the moment he received Jesus, his world got larger. What do you mean? Well, he started, you know, if you're going to give half your goods away, you've suddenly got some friends you never knew you had. 
When you're going to repay everyone you stole from, even the people you stole from are like, Zach, I've always forgiven you. You've always been on my heart. You know, others said things, I don't believe them, but you, I knew deep down you're a good man. His world got larger and larger and larger. The rich young ruler's world got smaller and smaller and smaller because his generosity was only confined to himself. When you receive Jesus, one of the signs is it unlocks generosity. I've never met someone who's truly received Jesus who's a stingy worshiper, who's a stingy giver, who's a stingy person. Because to re- when you realize what you've received, you know, for the last however many years, you might be in a city that is only a year old or a few months old or a few years old. You might only be in our church for the most last recent few years. But for the last 14 years, every year around Miracle Offering, there's no arm twisting. Oh, we're passionate, we're unashamed, we know what we're doing, we believe in it. God's been so kind. But the only reason we're reaching this many cities and countries is because people that started in Malaysia, started in Perth, said, you know what, let's continue to sow to reach the world. And so guess what? As we've continued to be generous, it's not because we've arm-twisted people into generosity. It's just people aware that they've received God. And having received mercy, kindness, forgiveness, it's unlocked a generosity in the people like never before. And this is a principle. Before we talk about giving money, let's talk for a minute about giving mercy. If you hold a grudge against anybody, God is so strong in His consequence around that. Why? Because freely you've received mercy. You've got to freely give it out. Anyone who holds a grudge does not have a conscious view of what they've been forgiven. So the answer is not to, yeah, but they don't deserve forgiveness. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be forgiveness. She doesn't deserve mercy. If she deserved mercy, it wouldn't be mercy. And all of us, when we stop and have that mindset shift and go, God, I thank you. I need you. I can't afford you. Tonight I receive you. It will unlock generosity of response in worship, in, in forgiveness, in everything. There was an awkward scene once where a lady was kissing Jesus on the feet and Peter's like. And Jesus says, Peter, this is your house, right? Yeah. Since I come in, you did nothing for me. But this woman can't stop kissing my feet. Here's why. And this is the statement he made. Whoever is forgiven little, loves little. Whoever is forgiven much, loves much. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to think about how much you've been forgiven. But that alone, when you think about how much receiving Jesus does mean to you, it cannot help but unlock gratitude. It cannot help but unlock generosity. Zacchaeus received Jesus and his whole life was generous. The rich young ruler couldn't, and he couldn't even open his fist. You're like, yeah, but who's the third poor rich man? The ones who've been listening are taking stock, going, you've only talked about two. Last story, man called John. A man called John who lived in the 1700s. His mother died when he was young and his father was still at sea. What you need to know about John is his father was a slave trader. His father became wealthy through not just owning slaves, which is bad enough, and in the 1700s it was a different era, I understand, but he was trading slaves. And John followed in his father's footsteps and became a slave trader. And one of these trips he was surveying and searching the African coastline for more slaves to sell for profit. And his ship hit turbulence at a shocking level and he was wrecked. Spent 11 hours at sea, 
about to die, but he cried out to God for mercy and said, God have mercy. And God heard his cry for mercy. And a slave trader who nearly died in a shipwreck had a conversion experience, survived the shipwreck. And when he came to, when he turned up into land, he decided it was time to change his life. Why? Because a rich man who needed Jesus, who couldn't afford him, received mercy and grace he didn't deserve. And guess what? His whole life changed. He decided to stop trading slaves. He decided to give himself to learning Hebrew and Greek, gave himself to the gospel, became a minister, and in fact became a key voice that led to the abolishment of slavery. And when William Wilberforce signed the act, this man John was right next to him as a major voice that turned the law around that banished slavery. Who is this third poor rich man and how do we explain his Zacchaeus-like transformation? His name is John, John Newton, the man who later in life in December 1772 penned the words to a hymn you've probably heard, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Today, that's probably, over the last 350 years, the most well-sung hymn in Christendom, regardless of your denomination. Non-Christians know that hymn. And it was written by a Zacchaeus, modern-day Zacchaeus, a 1700 person who accumulated his wealth like Zacchaeus through inappropriate means, but received something he didn't deserve. See, in a few moments, all around the world, we're going to celebrate communion together in a few moments. And what you're going to look at in your hand is probably only worth a few cents in terms of cost, but what it represents is actually priceless. What you receive when you receive forgiveness of sins, what you receive when you receive the goodness of God, what you receive when you receive His mercy, should not just move you emotionally, not just move you to tears, but cause you to pen words like amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me some of us have sung that song so many times we think about the wretch and we think about our mother-in-law or our boss or our ex-pastor or our ex-someone amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me if only the rich young ruler could have seen the wretch he was and didn't come to god with his list of well i'm an eight out of ten lord his whole destiny might have been different to think of three poor rich men and the two worst ones are the ones who got saved. The slave trader and the criminal who robbed his own people as a tax collector. I don't advocate that anybody go into a life of crime to discover the grace of God. But the truth is we're all criminals. The question is which one? The one on the right side of the cross or the left side of the cross? Today we throw our crowns down in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus, we want you to know that He loves you very much. So much that He died on the cross for all of your sins that stood between you and God. If you would like to make a decision to follow Jesus today, all you need to do is to repeat this prayer. Dear God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I admit that I'm not right with you and I want to be right with you. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Lord 
and Savior of my life. Thank you for saving me and making me your child. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or if God has done anything in your life because of this podcast, we would love to know. Email us at testimony at kingdomcity.com.